Welcome to Gone Fishing, a show diving into the cybersecurity threats that surround our highly connected lives. Human vulnerability is almost completely ignored in the security awareness space. But why is that? Every human is different. Every person has unique vulnerabilities that expose them to potentially successful social engineering. It's time to change the focus and bring it back to the human factor. On this show, we'll discuss human vulnerability and how it relates to unique individuals. Assessing the constantly evolving human risk is how we make our company safer and more secure. I'm Connor Swalm, CEO of FinSecurity, and welcome to Gone Fishing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Fishing. I'm joined once again by Matthew Fish, founder of Fort Mesa. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I had a coffee refill. I've been out for days in the office. So today, we're going to talk about CIS controls, using them to prepare your clients for cyber insurance. Question I have right off the bat, where's the overlap between CIS controls and cyber insurance? Is that even a right statement to make? Overlap might be. So here's how I think of it. Um, CIS is a best practice target of what a bunch of really smart cybersecurity experts put together through an international effort involving governments, large, small organizations, professionals all over the planet. And it's constantly being updated. It's technically specific. And it's, it's really geared towards the types of things MSPs are good at or service providers are good at. Um, cyber insurance, on the other hand, is whatever random question set that some actuarial underwriter thinks is going to save money this year based on losses looking back over the last three years, even though the reality is we're now in a new threat space going forward. So they're always three years behind. Um, and attackers are always way out ahead of the applications. But that said, um, the applications draw from those core competencies in cybersecurity. And CIS is that that gold standard. And if you if you aim for a security standard baseline, you're going to do well on just about any cyber insurance application. Question on, on CIS controls. How would you explain the difference between implementation group one, two, and three? Yeah. So I... You, you can have the custom explanation for each business in the world, but I'll, I'll try to simplify. So um, the Center for Internet Security has almost 200 controls. This compares to, for example, NIST standards or ISO standards that have two or three times as many as that um, or even more. So it's, it's a little bit simpler than other standards, but it is, a, you know, almost 200 questions. So when you look at, well, what's appropriate for a small business versus a large business, um, you come up with, well, you know what, it's actually appropriate to be at different levels, right? So CIS has these pre-cooked baselines. Um, they call them implementation groups. Implementation group one, sometimes referred to as IG1, is for small businesses. They probably use off-the-shelf software. They probably don't have any servers. They don't have any IT staff. Um, they don't have any strong government regulations impacting them, and um, no failure would impact human safety. Up at implementation group two, we have uh, organizations that uh, perhaps have IT staff, dedicated IT staff to ro- operate their systems. Now, that may be via a contract within a managed service provider, but there's people keeping things humming. There may be servers. There may be custom business applications that were built for them. And if they're very small, they may be regulated. Um, and then we have implementation group three, and that's all of the controls in the Center for Internet Security's control list. And that's for organizations that have strong government regulations impacting them or so the heavy, heavily regulated industries or 
some security failure could actually impact human safety. And so that's things like aerospace. That's things like uh, healthcare, right? But it can also be things like energy, right? If, you're, if your energy grid fails, that can impact people's safety, right? So that's, that's the way you navigate those implementation groups. That actually makes a ton of sense. And the way I've understood it before after chatting with a few folks on CIS is implementation group one is like you want to put your best foot forward. Implementation group two is you know what you're doing and you're trying to be better and implementate. I can't talk, but implementation group, if I could say those words, implementation group three is you are aiming at the pinnacle of security. You're aware of all of your risks and you're actively trying to mitigate threats that you may be unaware exist. I I think. There's some truth to that, specifically around service providers. When you think yeah. in the beginning of their security journey, they're probably only providing adequate security for small organizations that don't have custom servers, et cetera, right? So a, a service provider's security journey is going to follow that same client maturity arc, right? Yeah. But just because a hospital decided on a random Monday, oh, we should actually have security. We were faking it for the last 10 years, Right does not mean that they should only be targeting IG-1. There's actually like laws that say that they need to be up at IG-3. Yeah. So I really like that. It's, uh, your, it's almost like your investment in cybersecurity should be incredibly commensurate with the penalty for failure. So if your systems go down as a hospital, people actually die. If your power grid goes down, people have the potential to get hurt, if, if not alone, let alone die. It's like, whereas if you're, I'll use another, a coffee shop. If your POS systems go down, what do you do? Uh, you operate on cash for that day, probably. So it's like the risk, uh, the penalty is not people die. The penalty, well, you know, if you don't get, if I don't get my coffee in the morning, I die. But yeah. There's one other great thing about CIS that's maybe undersold by the greater community, which is um, unlike every other security standard I'm aware of, there's a prescripted order of implementation right? That actually narrates the journey. And that's why they're in domain groups one through 18. And yes, you could also follow up the IGs if you want to make an even more comprehensive plan around it, right? There's basic foundational stuff you need. Stacked on top of that is intermediate interventions. Stacked on top of that is advanced integration uh, interventions. And if you start at CIS 1 and you move through CIS 18, you will pretty much be spending your way through a return on investment curve, right? So the yeah. the farther up you go that that curve, the less return on investment. That doesn't mean that you don't need those things, right? Think of it as like the amount of risk you're taking off the table for the amount of money you're spending, right? And uh, CIS is great there, and I'm not aware of other other standards that have that that inbuilt guidance. And this is the reason why the insurance industry used to be running on ISO 27K, which had hundreds of controls and no guidance for, for no guidance at all on how much security you needed. Um, figure it out yourself was the guidance, right? Um, and why the ins- insurers are looking at things that are more prescriptive. Um, and they're basing, they're basing their, their underwriting criteria on those maturity milestones that you meet as you implement CIS controls. I had a, I had a buddy, Wes Spencer. Uh, when he was working with uh, Fifth Wall Cyber Insurance on the podcast. And he said, uh, I don't know what's going to change, but I do know that cyber insurance companies having 108% loss ratios on the policies they wrote in 2019 was never going to happen again. It was, uh, might have been 21. Uh, they, you know, they, pulled, been... They, 
they pulled things in and it was yeah. really tight for the last few years and they've been opening capacity up in again again and i would like to say oh they haven't figured out but the reality is the attackers you know yeah. the threat actors out there they're not necessarily playing along with the with the carrier or underwriters plans right yeah. so yeah, maybe they won't be that greedy again, you know, like the greed fear index, but it's hard. It is hard to keep those loss ratios down. Can you imagine a hacker or a malicious actor saying, hey, guys, this would have worked, but there's no control in the cyber insurance policy recommending this. So we just we can't do it. We got to attack something that they're defending. <laughs> no, that's uh, not Can we cover works. like a few domain areas that are really critical on pretty much all the security policies. Yeah, let's do it. What are some of the domain areas? Right. Uh, we're just real fast. I'll rattle through them. Um, and, and and I'm going to point out the things that are maybe not so obvious to most service providers, because I think people know some of the obvious things, like you should have some kind of anti-malware solution, right? Um, or you should be patching. Um, I would hope that you guys are all doing that. I, and I know that um, I think pretty much everyone knows that you need to have multi-factor authentication these days. And the standard, by the way, right now is... You need to have multi-factor authentication anytime an administrative act is completed, right? Any kind of admin action, or um, you're accessing systems that are outside your building, remote access, right? Yeah. Um, so in those two cases, you always need MFA, and your client doesn't want it isn't an excuse, right? <laughs> so that's if I had a, a nickel for every time an MSP said uh, I can't enable MFA because the client's not involved. I don't think either of us would be running companies. We'd be sipping margaritas somewhere on a beach. So um, I do want to talk on the, the, about the anti-malware real quick. Um, I know do. that we, there's a lot of confusion here. Antivirus versus EDR versus XDR versus whatever DR. At its core, what the insurers are trying to get you as a provider to do is detect when an attacker does get in, right? Detect when they do get in and... Uh, do something about it. But it's not as simple as installing an EDR MDR agent, right? Or whatever DR agent that costs more than the other DR agent you used to have, right? There's actually a responsibility here to have some processes and procedures in place around when an incident is detected, what service provider takes XYZ actions and have a plan written down that says, we will contact the customer under these criteria. The criteria is written down. There may be an external contact list. There may be a need to bootstrap a um, some kind of incident forensics, right? There may be a need to just document not really a problem, right? We, you know, we've, we, we don't think there's any impact. Document that, right? Yeah. That it's a rest. There may be a need to do after action. So there's a lot of governance needs there that I think people miss out on. They, they install the whatever DR agent and they think, oh, we're good. And actually what the, what the cyber insurer application said is, do you have an incident response? response plan and do you have a process in place and do you do incident lifecycle and we do go into a little bit of detail there and let me tell you in the case of a claim if you haven't written down that plan and you haven't followed it and you haven't logged all the times you followed it um you could end up in a bad chair you know during that claim you know that the claim will get denied and and, and the service provider will end up in, in arbitration right yeah so arbitration the one place none of us want to be <laughs> yeah so that's <laughs> That's, uh, you know, the MDR requirement or the incident response requirement. Um, vulnerability management these days is on a lot of these questionnaires. And this, again, is not I've installed a thing that looks for vulnerabilities or I've installed a thing that patches, right? The actual standard is have you and the client set a risk acceptance threshold? And are you using prioritization 
methods to make sure that you're remediating vulnerabilities to whatever that standard is that you've set with the client. So not only are you finding these things, but are you finding them and are you fixing them within a set amount of time based on risk acceptance criteria where there's some actual prioritization in place? And and that that's sophisticated language that I'm using, but at the core of what I just said is the MSP has to do something that's human and act. They have to perform a service and can get paid for that service. And your your clients will be happy to pay you to keep the attackers out, right? And there's a huge revenue opportunity there for not just installing the agent, right? Actually doing the thing to a set risk acceptance threshold. Awareness training. I think pretty much everyone knows you're supposed to be doing this, but if you're not doing awareness training or you can't be shown that there's evidence that you've been doing awareness training in the end client, um, you will get a claim denial. And awareness training goes a little bit further past. We did a phishing simulation once. Um, You you do need to train people on their responsibilities for taking care of their credentials, patching their own local machines. You need to train administrators on best practices. You might need to train people for their, their job roles. Or you yeah. may need to train them for whatever their industry impact is. Like, oh, this is how you treat healthcare data. This is how you treat criminal justice data, right? And all of those things, you know, need to happen across the end client and in the service provider to satisfy those insurer requirements. And I think those are the big ones. Clearly, um, a provider is also going to want to know that you're doing, you've got some kind of data recovery plans in place, like taking backups, stock that stuff away someplace you protected it. They're 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 not going to come rescue you if you say oh, we didn't back up our data and there was $10 million in losses. And they're going to be like, well, come on, man, you didn't back up the data. Yeah. Those are like the, the core pillars that I'm seeing right now. And then, you know, each insurer is going to have levels of depth that point back to the CIS controls. You know, there's, there's some other things in there, log management, access control, but uh, cover the core bits. Yeah, you're right. Um, somebody I had on the podcast previously, previously I believe it was a guy by the name of Brian Mahone who, who does this and writes cyber insurance policies. He made a statement along the lines of, you know, five years ago, they'd measure your heartbeat and say, congratulations, here's your policy. And now it's a, here's a 37 page questionnaire on not only what tools are you using, but how are you using them? How often? What do you do if they don't work? It's like everything you've described. Now it's actually getting into the, the weeds of real security is not just saying you use a tool. Real security is using it properly for your business use case. You're not joking about the 37 pages. I saw one the other day that was about that length. But as I was, yeah. as I was working through it, I realized this should actually be 100 pages. They packed it down so dense just to keep the page count down. <laughs> just um, so you wouldn't be the leap to <laughs> toss it in the bin or something. Yeah. What advice would you give MSP or, or, or a business who's trying to understand the world of cyber insurance as it, as it exists today? Where do you think they should go to begin learning about this? The reality is if you're following the guidance that's appropriate for a business of, of that maturity level, that size in that industry, set out by the standards organizations like CIS, you are going to meet the insurance requirements, no problem. So follow the, the guiding light. You'll have no problem getting through those insurance processes. Got questions about specific standards, different regions in the world, different industries, certainly reach out to someone that can help you with that. Um, that's one of the things we do at Fort Mesa. We're a governance risk compliance platform, and we also help people with vulnerability management. So, you know, we're cheerleaders for the, uh, the service provider, really helping them learn how to, how to right-size the different security offerings for these different industries based on, based on these outside standards. You're absolutely right. For, for those of you who have been listening today, if you're interested in learning more about the CIS controls as well, you can go to 
isecurity.org. I don't know why they just didn't put an extra S in there. Uh, that stands for the Center for Internet Security. And you could download all of, like Matthew said, the 18 domains here, which is, you know, I guess fancy speak for areas that you should be concerned with for cybersecurity. And it's reading through them. It's, expla- it's explained in plain enough English that you know what you're reading. You might not know what you need to do about it, but you'll know what's going on. Highly recommend starting there as if you wanted to learn about the CIS controls as well. Yeah, and it's only four pages. Four pages. Yeah, four it's pages. not 37 condensed to 100. So don't, well, they, don't go through the cyber. They, they've got the long version too, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, no, we don't need to go. Well, they don't need to go through that. Maybe we don't. <laughs> awesome. Well, Matt, it was a blast having you on again. I'd love to have you on uh, at some point in the future. Uh, we haven't t- chatted about government contracts and the dreaded four-letter word CMMC. So maybe we can do that next time. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds awesome. good. Once again, thanks for joining me, Matt. Um, it was a pleasure having you. I'm Connor, host of the Gone Fishing Podcast, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about creating high-quality security awareness training campaigns that engage employees and change their habits, then check out FinSecurity at P-H-I-N-S-E-C. Or click the link in our show notes. Thanks for fishing with me. See you next time.